Welcome to this episode of WikiWalks, a short podcast devoted to some of the more intriguing and, huh, who knew, articles that you can run across in the weird world of Wikipedia. I'm your host, Chris Grismer. If you've enjoyed these podcasts so far, why don't you uh, do your boy a solid and leave a nice review on iTunes so we can help get these fun stories to more listeners and let them know all about the weird little facets found in the strange pages of our favorite online encyclopedia. As was evident with our Fritz Haber episode a few back, the brilliant chemist who saved a billion people through fertilizer but also invented chemical warfare, I really enjoy stories that deal with unintended consequences. They say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and with few people is that more evident than with Thomas Midgley Jr. Who is Thomas Midgley Jr., you ask? Well, he was a mechanical and chemical engineer in the early to mid-1900s. Wow! Exciting stuff, right? Surely someone with this background can't have done something that exciting to make you listen to a seven-minute podcast about him. But what if I told you that this man, who was heralded in his time as being a brilliant visionary, has caused more environmental damage than any human who has ever lived? Really, any organism who has ever lived. And it's not even close. And you've never heard of him? That's got to be somewhat intriguing, right? Well, let's dive in, shall we? Thomas Midgley Jr. was born in 1899 in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Beaver Falls is not only the birthplace of Thomas Midgley, but also Joe Namath. Also, it's where the TV show Mr. Belvedere is set. So, uh, there's that. Anyhow, Thomas's father was an inventor, and so as a young boy, he was all about gadgets and science and, you know, was basically the classic kid with a chemistry set who burned his eyebrows off or exploded a backyard shed and no one sees the cat ever again. Thomas's father had several inventions that revolved around automobile tires, and after college, Thomas joined him in working on engineering challenges related to the automobiles of the era. He found some success and struck out on his own, and worked with Delco, the Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, which would later be acquired by General Motors. A very common issue among vehicles in this era was engine knocking. It was a loud knocking, or a miniature explosion actually, that came from the motor when there was a loss of power stemming from a too rapid consumption of fuel. One of the first ideas they had was to dye the fuel red to help the liquid absorb more radiant heat. The only red liquid they had on hand was iodine, so they added it to the fuel mixture and, <laughs> wouldn't you know it, for some strange reason it nearly completely eliminated the knocking noise. What the heck, first try, alright, good job. It turned out that the chemical composition of iodine was responsible, and it actually didn't have anything to do with the color. The iodine changed the octane level of the fuel and allowed for more compression without the loss of power caused by the knocking. Thomas went down the periodic chart and tested different mixtures, and found one little fella who performed better than iodine. It was a formulation of organic lead called tetraethyl lead, or just ethyl as it came to be known. In fact, you can still find ethyl in use today with aviation and a few countries that haven't banned leaded fuel. Have you ever noticed when you go to, say, oh, I don't know, any gas pump since about 1960 and it says unleaded gas? Well, there's a reason, friend. Nearly immediately, the toxic effects of leaded gasoline became apparent. At the ethyl plant, 17 workers died of lead poisoning. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. To prove the compound was safe, Midgley took a handful of the stuff and held it under his nose and breathed it in for 60 seconds at a press conference he put on. I'm good, everyone. All good. 
He also took a drink of a solution laced with lead and then submitted a urine sample to show that there was no residue, which, you know, basically proves nothing because here's the fun thing about lead is it never leaves your body. You can't excrete it. It stays in there forever. So after this wild demonstration, he promptly disappeared for nearly a year to recover from nearly fatal lead poisoning. Scientists at the time were independently studying ice core samples from all over the world, and they saw an enormous increase in atmospheric lead around the 1940s. This was not just a local issue. There was lead, a super toxic chemical, in the air in every region of the world. The EPA began to look in the matter, and eventually most countries began to ban leaded gasoline altogether. Even perennial all-star pollutant China banned it, although, to be fair, that didn't come until 2001. After this lead debacle, wherein his chemical inventions essentially, oh, you know, poisoned the world, he decided to pivot and get into the refrigeration game. You know, surely this can't go wrong. Refrigerators, who loves them? They're cool. He set out to modernize refrigerants, ones that weren't flammable or toxic or otherwise caused major health issues. Good guy Midge trying to do the right thing. You go, Midge! He found a nice chemical compound that seemed to hit the sweet spot. Dichlorodifluoromethane called Freon-12. It was the first commercial fluorocarbon, or CFC. It was crazy successful, totally non-toxic, and used in a million ways, from air conditioners to aerosol bug sprays to hairspray, literally anything sprayed from a can, asthma inhalers. If you needed an inert gas, CFCs were the prescription for your cowbell fever. In 1941, he earned the Priestley Medal, the highest award from the American Chemical Society. He even became the president of that organization and was then elected to the National Academy of Sciences. It wouldn't be until the mid-1970s that two scientists took a gander at what effects CFCs were having on the planet. And the results, uh, they were staggering. Huge swaths of our Earth's ozone layer were just, just gone, just utterly gone. One atom of CFC destroys 100,000 atoms of ozone. Ugh. So, in 1982, CFCs started to become banned around the world. No longer would that seven-gallon can of Aquanet be filled with earth poison. However, all of this came to light long after Tommy Boy had passed on. At age 51, he contracted polio, and his health obviously took a turn for the worse. Being stuck in bed, he actually invented a contraption of pulleys and cables that would allow him to move his limbs and sit up and down despite his deteriorated condition. But outside of robotic limb contraptions, his work obviously had come to a screeching halt. I'm sure he had some extra plan to replace our lead water pipes with plutonium pipes that were naturally bacteria-resistant and wouldn't cause any problems at all, had he continued on in good health. However, after four years of living as a polio-ridden Dr. Octopus, he was found strangled by his own invention. Thomas Midgley Jr. died the way that he lived, inadvertently making it impossible to breathe. His soul was set free on that day, and he remains the single most destructive organism to ever exist. So the next time you sit pondering your own place in the world, as you look at the unleaded gasoline placard at a shell station, or you're just holding a can of spray paint with CFC logos that has a red line going through it, just know that one person really can make a difference. Just not always a good one. <laughs>